Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today I am joined by Raquel Desabels O'Brien. Welcome. Thank you so much, Maddie, for having me here. And just a shout out to you for creating a space for people like me and us to share our stories. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on and speak to you because your voice is a voice that I've had in my ears for hours and hours and hours. And I am just so thrilled to have you on. You created a number a few years ago the Silent Waves podcast, and now you're doing the Unfiltered podcast as well, which I absolutely adore. And yeah, do you mind, I guess, introducing yourself? Who is Raquel outside of, I guess, being a podcaster? Yes. Okay. Wow. Who is Raquel? That's such a philosophical question. And I'm such an existential person. I'm always thinking about who am I and what am I doing here in this life? Um, I guess that I grew up in Australia. I had a really loving family for the most part, or so it seemed. Later on, I figured out it was all a facade and my family was really actually quite fucked up. Um, I'm very close to my mother. She's from Brazil. So she was born in the Amazon. And once I was able to share my story in the way I did in Silent Waves, I ended up moving to the Amazon. And I went on this journey of self-discovery to try to figure out who I was beyond the survivor narrative. And I would say in the Amazon, being on the land of my ancestors, I've been able to explore parts of myself in the now that aren't just representative of my traumatic past. I'm someone who loves holding space for people to share their stories. I love listening to people's stories. I love sharing my own if I think it's going to help someone in their own journey. So I guess 
that's pretty much who I am. Um, love drinking ayahuasca. So we'll get into that later. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, yeah, I think it's hearing somebody being so spiritual, I guess, and open. And it's so against the typical Australian narrative as well. So I can understand from a very basic level how how moving has allowed you to kind of mold into your own person rather than being so constricted by the cultural limitations of being, you know, stuck in an Australian society. <laughs> that was really interesting to for me because my mom, she's really spiritual. So growing up, it was normalized within my home environment, but I did notice that my mom wasn't able to share that with anyone else outside of our home environment. The Brazilian community perhaps in a way, but she has always been really, really, really connected to spirit God, whatever you want to call it. And so when I was able to come to Brazil and experience spirituality in a way it was normalized, I felt that I didn't have to be ashamed to talk about God or explore alternative ways of healing through faith as an example. Uh, I remember, but I've always kind of been this way. I kind of think I stepped into this identity now, but all my friends will tell you that, like, what are you talking about, Rico? You used to go to the parties and have crystals in your bag and be like, let's do some positive thinking meditation. So I guess <laughs> I've always just been this way, but I always associated God with being like, um, back in Australia, like if, oh, if I mention God, then they're going to think that I'm trying to preach to them or that I'm a Jehovah's Witness and I'm going to try to convince them of my belief system. And that's just not my philosophy. I think everyone can find their connection to what are, whatever it is in their own way. And I'm just blessed to have found mine. And to continue as well, that legacy of my mother is very important to me. I really, really love that. And I find it really linking with the way that you speak about it because I understand what you mean by that religion-wise, but also as somebody myself who's a scientist at heart, um, I've studied science and it's something that I always go back to and, and a way that I see the world. But I think that can be a very binary way of thinking. It's either fact or it's not. But I think the thing is as well that I feel is inherent in a scientist is that you've got a belief system that can change. And what that means is mm. when you learn more, your thinking evolves. You're not stuck on something that's been disproven. And I think that's where my mind kind of goes in that linkage is that the evolution of your mind, regardless of whether it's from a, a faith or a spiritual base or a science basis, the fact is that you want to continually evolve and seek and learn. And I really, really like the linkage that that, that made me feel like, you know, and I, mm. I think with some of my mates who are religious, they felt quite similar in the sense of, oh, no, she's a scientist. We can't really talk about this stuff. Whereas I'd sit there with my eyes wide open being like, wow, what does that mean? <laughs> yes. And I feel that big connection because you've got a similar thing, right? I really do. And I always go back to science proves the power of placebo or the placebo effect is effective. So if we apply that to our mindset or the workings of our mind, if I believe in it enough, that's going to have a positive effect in my life. If I can affirm this power of positive thinking in many ways, neurologically, that's going to help me evolve as well. So I, I kind of apply it in that way. And science continues to disprove itself anyway. So as long as I'm not harming anyone with my own inner belief system, I'm like, no one fucking knows anyway. 
Hey, honestly, I love that so much. Absolutely. And that's exactly right. Like there was once a time where scientists believed the earth was flat. And when you go back to that kind of thinking, as soon as it was disproven, the the belief system changed and that was great. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. I, I like applying that in terms of my own knowledge and feelings as well. Um, but I, I love that. And I can't wait to talk to you about ayahuasca and, and the impacts because so many of those things and psilocybin and other types of things that people can take or microdose as well are being tested really officially as proper ways to heal with trauma. So I'm really excited to talk about that. We'll get to that at the end. I did want to talk to you about, I guess, silent waves and and sharing your story. So I guess any of the listeners, you started silent waves and it was a way for you to kind of bring together and share your story. And it's a multi-part um, short limited series, a podcast that was produced and created by yourself. Yes, I co-created it with Georgina Savage. She was really fundamental in the creating of Silent Waves because she has a documentary background. So she was able to help me structure my story and guide me on the process of telling it. It was it's really amazing. And I, I re-listened to it recently because I my evolution of this, like I remember listening to it when it came out and I was like, this is iconic. And then <laughs> When you released Unfiltered and you did the first episode with the K-Sile host and you referred to Silent Waves, I was like, I'm just going to have to go back and listen to that again because it was just, it was so powerful. But because it had been a few years, I'd completely kind of forgotten all of the intricacies of the story and it was so expertly told and I love that Georgina was able to help you to, I guess, lay out those, the storylines in a certain way. It was it's just such a powerful thing. So for anybody listening, please go and listen to Silent Waves. It is a really amazing production that you've been able to get together. But Silent Waves, I guess, is sharing your story. And as you referred to before, the understanding that your family wasn't what you thought that it was. I guess, do you mind sharing in whatever detail you feel comfortable? Where were you in your life, I guess, when when your survivor story itself begins and and how did it then end up becoming Silent Waves? Of course. So the purpose of telling Silent Waves was to place my personal story in a collective narrative because I think through the telling of my story, I realized how many of my experiences weren't just my own and that I was having similar experiences to a whole lot of other people and the effect of our experiences were showing up in our lives in very similar ways. Um, So before the telling of Silent Waves, I guess my story was very disjointed and it was controlling me. It was playing up in my life. My trauma was playing up really heavily in my life. I felt like I was directionless. I didn't really understand what had happened or, in other words, I was really dissociating everything. I blocked everything out. But what happened was... I was in the car with Georgina Savage and she, we were coming back from a house party and she shared a poem. And in this poem, she shared an sexual encounter that she'd had that made her feel a certain way. And for some reason, at that moment, I looked at her and I said, I can really resonate with what you're saying. I've had a similar experience. And I guess that alerted her to talk further to me about my experience. So one day we were sat at the park and she said, what's your story? 
And so I started and all I could get out at that point was that when I was 12 years old, my elder Brazilian cousin had come and stayed with us. He visited us from Brazil and he stayed in our home. And from there, he began to groom me. I didn't know at the time that I was being groomed. I didn't even have the vocabulary to describe what had happened to me, but he had groomed me in my home. Um, The grooming had turned to rape and that became my reality for two years. So I was being raped in my home environment by my cousin. Uh, When I was 16, I'm just going to give you the elevator pitch version and then we can go into the parts because there's a lot to unpack. But um, when I was 16, my father, he committed suicide. So he passed away. He left my family in financial ruin. He was my hero. I felt lost. I felt ashamed. And my cousin came back into our life. So I thought that that nightmare was over. He came back into our lives to help my family processing the death of my father. Now, by this point, I was filled with rage against him. I was like, listen here, you little piece of shit. I've just lost my father. If you think you're dealing with that 12-year-old Raquel, I'll have you know. And my mom said that when he came back into the house, I answered the door and I started punching him. And my mom was like, oh my God, what's my daughter doing? I'm so sorry, Raquel's not dealing well with the death of her father. And I'm punching my cousin. And I was like, I... I'm so filled with rage. I was so depressed. I started self-harming. So my mom's taking me to psychiatrist, psychologist, shaman. She's trying everything. She's taking me to the beach every day. She's like, what is happening to my daughter? Basically, at one of these psych sessions, I tell this psych, she's talking to me and she's just trying to help me process the death of my father. And I said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything about my life. Stop telling me that I'm processing this. I'm processing so much more. My cousin raped me. (gasps) And I said, oh, my God, I've just told someone. I thought I'd never tell anyone. And she sat me down and she said, look, you should really tell your family about this. I was like, hell to the fucking no. Bye. Left the session. Are we allowed to swear? Please do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. so. A bit late to ask that question. But anyway, so I get back and then my little brother at the time, so his way of processing our father's death was to practice shamanism, which is hilarious to think of a 14-year-old boy exploring his spirituality, buying crystals and listening to all of this Native American healing music. And he goes, Raquel, I'll do a healing on you. I'll do a healing on you. And I say, okay. So I go into this room and my brother puts his music on and I just start crying and crying and crying and crying. I can't stop crying. I get out of the session. My mom's worried. She's like, Matt, please, what are you doing to your sister? You don't know the powers that you're using. And so this is all happening. I'm like, oh, I think it's good. I think it's good. I wake up in the morning. I decide it's time to tell my mom. So I tell my mom. She tells my brothers and my family mobilizes. So by the time I was 18, I was able to take my cousin to court. And I was blessed and lucky enough to be one of the rare cases that I, as a survivor, I won my case and my cousin, he went to prison in Australia. After that, he was deported. When I was 20 years old, uh, so that was when I was 18, done. I'm thinking, oh, let's get on with my life now. But then when I was 20, I find out that my father had sexually molested my older brother for two years, three years. So that 
was what broke me. And that was when I was like, my life is fucked up. And I started perpetuating a cycle of abuse by physically harming my boyfriend at the time. And then that leads to 24 when I sit in the park with Georgina Savage and I decide it's time to share my story. Initially, the reason why I wanted to do it is because I wanted to hold myself accountable to being better in this life. My life just seemed like it was going to be so bleak and I was so depressed that I thought, I'm only 24 years old. I want to give myself a fighting chance. Maybe if I go back into the past, write out my story, it will be a form of narrative healing. And maybe this will be nothing else has worked. Let's try this. Wow. It's a lot. And it's, I think, you know, the way that you speak about it is, you know, I know that you said you're giving the kind of the elevator pitch because um, there's a lot in what you just said. And, and it's, it's a lot for anybody to deal with any of those things individually, but for you to have to kind of have them build one thing upon another thing upon another thing within the life that you're living, it's such a difficult thing, especially losing a parent to suicide, having child sexual abuse, having and feeling like that's something that you needed to hold in and keep to yourself. I was recently actually myself asked the question, um, if I didn't have immediate police intervention, does do I think I would have ever told anybody what happened to me? And I don't know. I think that I very much would have kept it in. I don't think that that, and it's really difficult to explain when you're that young why you would do that. But the weight that that holds within your soul when you're holding something like that, I can only imagine how hard that was for you as well. So I just want to say, like, I'm so incredibly sorry that those things happened to you, but I'm so incredibly astonished, uh, probably the wrong word, but just in awe of you as a human to be able to have that self-awareness at that time to to look at your life and say, this is bleak, or to look at your own actions and hold yourself accountable for those as well. In terms of the podcast, because you, you really went, to, you called each podcast Act 1, Act 2, didn't you? Was that the titles for each episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we wanted to set it out like it was a play, because what became really apparent is everyone in my family, not just me, it was a story. I was obviously the main character because it's the telling of my story, but everyone had a role in my family dynamic. And when you think about a hierarchical structure, people play their roles. And that was so apparent apparent in my family dynamic. And we wanted to we wanted to really relay that to the audience that in many senses all of us were playing our roles. And that's a lot of the reason why the silence was maintained for so long. And I think that was really powerful. And I guess like the way that you went through the story really went back and you were able to set the scene so well of the beginning being, you know, puppies and rainbows and then really taking people Mm -hmm. through this emotional journey. Did that feel when you were creating that, um, because obviously you've created it, but did did you create it in that order or was it created as a jumble and it was edited into that order? It was definitely edited into that order. I originally just wanted to share the story of me being raped by my cousin. And that was kind of 
it because I wasn't ready to initially to talk about my father. It caused a lot of pain. I had a lot of unresolved anger towards my mother at the time because I felt like in some way, shape or form, she was complicit. That was not the case at all. Through our conversations, I was able to abolish that thought. But I just didn't want to expose myself to that degree. I did want to talk about self-accountability because I was really confused as to why I was physically assaulting my partner at the time. I'm a very peaceful person 90% of the time. And I had this uncontrollable rage inside me, rage to the point where I would start trembling and I would see red and I would just be a whole different person and I would attack. And I remember thinking like, man, how could I ever possibly even think about having a children? I don't even trust a child. I don't even trust myself around my partner or myself. Imagine bringing life into this world. And that was really tormenting me. So I started just wanting to talk about my cousin and self-accountability. And then I realized that there was no way that I could talk about this story without talking about the whole context that created the environment in which I was raised and my father was the head figure of that environment. So I had to talk about him and I had to take him off the pedestal that I had held him on until that moment. And I had to do it in the public eye and I needed the audience to be the jury. And it's such a difficult thing to understand as well. Like the way that you spoke about it in the last episode, I think that it was, and you really talk about the push and pull of the feelings of all of the things. Like you've got one side that has so much love and respect for the man that your father was, you know, with being um, a successful person, with being disciplined, with being intelligent and with those things. And then having to marry that up with the accountability for him and you holding him accountable in your own mind and self and body for the actions that he did and the things that he caused and how horrible they were as well. And it was something that really resonated with me. Um, I've spoken to this organization that's amazing called Partner Speak. And it's something that I I think is really great. And it's something that we're missing in the narrative of victim survivors as well, which is how do you cope as a family member or a loved one of somebody who's committed crimes against children specifically? How do you marry that up? Because it's easy for other people to expect you to hate that person. But I guess what I'm saying is what I really loved about your storytelling is how authentic and and real it was to really share the dichotomy that you were in and, and the the honesty that you brought to that was just so powerful. I remember that was one of the one of the many times that I was walking down the street with my dog just bawling my eyes out because it just mm-hmm. hit my soul to a level of how uh, how unbelievably difficult that must be. Yes, and you you've said it so eloquently there. So thank you for summing it up like that. But it really is there's a dichotomy there and I wanted just through the whole recording of Silent Waves all I wanted was to be true. I just wanted to share my truth and I wanted to do it in a way that was messy and that didn't come to a resolution 
as such because every time I try to box it into something and put it away, pack it away neatly in a corner, it would just come back like a tidal wave and take over me and I'd be back to square one or so it would seem. And with my father, as you said, when it's a family member, it's very easy for someone to sit there and say, well, that person did this and therefore you should feel this way about them. But they got to understand that for me to do that, I will have to literally disregard 16 years of memories of my life and how my father was able to shape who I am. When I look in the mirror, I see my father. So what happened to me is I started hating myself. I started feeling like because I was his offspring, then I was inherently bad like him. I would have to spend my whole life making up for everything that he did. And that was just trapping me so much more than I can even describe to you. And so I wanted to say the whole truth. And the whole truth is there's love, there's rage, and there's everything in between. And I feel it all for that man who raised me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, that's just so powerful. And I think to to reconcile that, as you said before, with the abuse against your brother, and I guess as you went through the narrative of telling the full story end to end, what was that like for you as a family as well? Like it sounds like it was quite cathartic in many ways for you to go through, and it was very, you know, as you said, you're, you're taking that proverbial uh, box off the shelf and you're opening it up and and allowing things to kind of be seen for the first time and to reorganize them into a new way. 
what was that like for you to go through that process? And what was it like, I guess, for your brother as well um, and the extended family to to go through the process of recording and then hear the final product? It was incredibly cathartic across the board. For my brother, to start with my brother, he is so well-spoken and we would sit, we sat down and had about 15 recorded conversations. So uh, only a little bit made the final cut, but so much of what was said and shared in those spaces were for us and us only. So in the editing process, I had to be really careful to discern what needed to be shared to the public and what they shared with me that I needed to keep in that space, even if it was, if even if it made for excellent storytelling, it didn't matter because I needed to know that what was for the public and what wasn't. So that was really tricky in the editing process. Um, my brother went on and he ended up recording a song called Silent Waves, where he was he got the energy from what we created with Silent Waves and he went on and continued his healing in his own way. So it was just incredible. For me, the by far the most incredibly cathartic part of the process was the conversations I had with my mother. Because as I mentioned before, I was harboring a lot of resent for my mother. And when I tell you that those conversations started like verbal fights, like me yelling at her, me pointing the finger at her, her defending herself. And by the end, we were sitting there crying, hugging. I was thanking her for what she did and what she didn't know I was extending understanding, and she was understanding my story. We literally healed our relationship, and I saw my mother in this new light, and I will just be forever grateful. That's like the one thing that makes me emotional is thinking about what it did for my relationship with my mother and I. And just on a collective note there, oftentimes mothers are on the receiving end of a lot of displaced blame. So that was important for me to to work through that in real time. It was a cathartic process for me, but to be honest, it was very triggering and I was behind the scenes, I was struggling, but I'm so stubborn and bullheaded that I was like, there is no way that I've opened this up and I'm not going to get to the end. I don't care what it takes. So I was hospitalized. I lost about 10 kilos. I was just going through the motions, but nothing was going to take me away from getting that final production out there. And really silent waves for me in my personal journey of processing what happened, it was really the start. It really was the start. And so I'm a huge proponent of narrative healing as a starting point for an extended journey that goes for probably the rest of our lives for all I know. And I will say like, yeah, that was one of the other moments that I cried listening to silent waves was hearing you and your mom crying together and you could hear the journey for both of you these light bulb moments were happening between the two of you and you were saying things and hearing them and understanding and it was you know I've had a really difficult relationship with my mom and and my family as well through this process and Mm -hmm. there's a lot that happens in there and I can just it was just so powerful to hear you both say things 
and then the other person would hear that and really get it as well. Like it just felt like you were having this, obviously it was a hugely powerful conversation, but it wasn't in no point of those discussions did it feel like there was some misunderstanding there, which often happens with those chats. It was just like light bulb moment after light bulb moment between the two of you. And it was just like with this hugely glass shattering understanding of the whole situation that came out and hearing you both cry together was just, um, and your, your mum with her, her, the cutest accent that's ever existed. She's, she sounds so (laughs) adorable and hearing her, um, her cry as well was just, it was, it was so powerful. And it was very, very challenging. And to be able to see my mom in this new light that I now see her in, I'm able to learn from her because I didn't I don't think I respected her before then. I really blamed her for everything that had happened in our life for not protecting us. And so now I can incorporate her wisdom. And my mom, she's very her lessons are very simple. And I guess in the past, I associated simple with basic, with stupid, if that makes sense. Whereas now I see how profound her simplicity is. And there's not many people that can go through what my mom has been through and still hold her head high, be open to love, helping people with their healing, allowing herself to be exposed in the way that she did granting me that opportunity to tell our story. And my mom's, if you met my mom, she's just light, really. She's just really a walking light. And so it's it's wonderful to to share that now with her, the relationship. And I really do thank Silent Waves for that. And just another point that I forgot to answer is before the release of Silent Waves, I made the decision to not share it with my family before release because they had all communicated that they trusted me with the release of Silent Waves. And because that notion of trust is really important because I wanted them to know that I was going to take care of our story and do my best to tell it in a way that wasn't going to portray them in any negative light, but at the same time be real and honest. And so when it went out, they were like the biggest fans of Silent Waves. They loved it. My my family loved it. And that for me was enough because I wasn't expecting anyone to listen to it anyway. Well, part of me was, I'm like, we're going to be huge. But deep inside, <laughs> I was like, if we get 100, it's cool. 100 listens is cool. But, um, but yeah, my family loved it all of my brothers and my mom. And so to give that, to have that as part of our family legacy is really, it's a blessing, really. I just, yeah, I love that so much. And it is like you can, you know, you feel almost a part of the family as you're going through it. So that that's why I, I think it's just such a profound podcast. But I guess what you were saying before as well, how hard it was during this process and what the trauma and triggers and everything brought up for you. One of the things I've spoken to so many survivors, especially people who are working in like the advocacy space or doing things like this, how, you know, you have this notion almost many or many of us do that struggle looks different to how it is. I think that's, you know, for myself, I realized that I was drinking more than usual, but I didn't feel like I wasn't coping. 
I didn't feel like mm-hmm. I was in an in an end-to-end struggle all the time in my life. But I started, as I started to look back, I was realizing that there was some potential unhealthy coping mechanisms that I was, you know, not aware that I was doing. So as you were saying, like how triggering and difficult it was, what did that look like as well? I guess what I really like sharing is the reality of what this work is to the listeners, because I hate when there is interviews and stuff that come out and people are sharing their stories or people are expected to share their stories and it's a current affair and it's a five-minute grab of a mm. four-hour interview. And what you mm. gather from that is that people are okay and it's easy and it's fine and it's not. So I think I, I really like diving into the fact that it is really difficult and giving the reality of that to people so that they can understand as well that it's a personal journey but also that they don't have to feel bad if this journey isn't for them or if this is something yes. that they want to do, that they can have that reality of knowing maybe what's ahead. Yes, absolutely. And I think that when we go into these processes, we've always got the highest expectations that we're going to get through it. So we don't really think about the process that it takes to get to a point where we're okay, you know, quote, okay. Uh, For me, I'll talk about my experience. So as I mentioned, I was physically abusive. Um, Not often, not that it matters, but I would attack my partner at the time in fits of rage. So I was also self-harming. I was the type of person that I would get into a zone that I felt completely disconnected from myself. I would black out basically. And, you know, I'd wake up and I'd have hit my head against the wall or I'd launched at my partner and he had to restrain me. I was crying uncontrollably. I would be working at the time I was working at a cafe and there were times where just all of a sudden I would just fall to the ground and I would start trembling and shaking. And I was having a panic attack, for example. Um, So I was hospitalized a few times in the process of making silent waves. As I said, I lost a lot of weight. I was under induced stressed stress. So that came out with, um, I was quite malnourished at the time. I also was drinking, which for me doesn't work well because drinking alcohol and me, we don't get along, but it was a coping mechanism for me as well. So there was that relationship that wasn't going well. I was so lucky because I have such a strong support system, not only my family, but the people around me, my friends, so they were able to hold space for me. I can't imagine what it would be like if I didn't have that support network around me. And and what really started getting to me is once I started telling my story, this would be some advice to people, I had no filter. So I ended up oversharing with people and in places that it wasn't safe to do so. As an example, I mentioned I was working at a cafe. So I would go up and deliver a long black to the regular customer. Like, hi, Raquel, how are you today? And I said, oh, you know, Greg, just processing that my father's a pedophile and he's just sitting there. And I'm like, oh God, why did I say that to Greg? I have to see Greg tomorrow. And so I just didn't have a filter. I was oversharing and then I wouldn't want to see people again. I wanted to tell every 
every single person that crossed my path that I was this survivor and I was telling my story and I was getting strength from doing it. But I was just sharing it with everyone and that wasn't safe for me. And it would come back and I would feel embarrassed. I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, no. So I didn't have that filter when I initially started sharing it. And I didn't, I wasn't keeping up with like my therapy or anything like that. So I would say that I really did it recklessly. And because I had my support system, I was able to get through it. But if not for my resilience, I don't know what could have happened to me, to be honest, because it was so taxing, more than you can ever imagine. But I was so set on telling that story about being a strong, badass survivor who was sticking it to my abuser, sticking it to my father and sticking it to society for creating this environment, this whole world that allows this behavior to happen and doesn't do anything to present, prevent it. So it was really, really fucking difficult. And I don't want to, I don't want to pretend it wasn't ever. It was so hard and I was continuing to self-harm all up until about six months before the release that I had some light bulb moments and I stopped being physically abusive and I stopped harming myself. So I got there in the end is what I'll say, but it was two years of hell. Yeah. Thank you for being so honest with that because it's so important that we do share that. And it is, it sounds like as well, it bleeds into every aspect of your life. Like, you know, the silence Mm -hmm. that you sit in when you haven't told anybody, yes, it does bleed into different areas of your life, but um, I don't know where the name came from, so I guess that would be my next question. But it feels like once it, it's it been released, there is that tsunami or wave effect where it, it crashes against all aspects and moves them and shakes them for a while. Like that's the, the image that I have in my mind as you were speaking then is just seeing this like, you know, this tidal wave of, you know, bullshit. And then there's the calming afterwards. And I think, yeah, I think that's really important. And even for myself with doing this, it was really, I didn't realize how emotionally invested I was, you know, and the the guilt and shame yes. that I feel a lot of the time is something that drives me as well, because it's the guilt and shame, not of my own story, but it's for, for, for example, if I haven't responded to somebody quickly enough or if somebody says, mm-hmm. look, I'm just having cold feet, I don't know if I want to record, and my mind goes to, oh, have I done something wrong? And there's that, yeah. the whole weight that you feel so much with the sharing of other people's stories and interviewing them. And I think, yeah, as well, getting that support and help in place and having that infrastructure in place to allow myself to fall down and know that I probably will have down days, but have them in place is something that I didn't do at the start. And that sounds like something you might recommend to people as well is making sure you've got that shit set up. Like you said, don't do it recklessly. <laughs> and I often wonder if from going through what we've been through, do we become more empathetic? Because what you're explaining, like that extreme care for other people and to make sure that they're feeling safe or that everything's okay. And then to internalize that as something wrong with us is like our deepest wound of not feeling worthy. 
because of all the shame and guilt that we harbor. So it's so complex. And everyone I've met, at least for the most part, who've experienced what we've experienced have always been hyper empathetic. So um, we have to take that into consideration as well when we're going through this process because we really do take on everyone else's emotions as we're trying to take on our own as well. And that in itself can feel like a tsunami of emotions. Be fierce in the knowing that there are going to be moments that test your limits and that's necessary as well. As long as you're, you've got, as you said, those protective people or protective outlets in place to help you get through it, you kind of need to go in guns blazing because it requires that momentum to get through it in a way because it's real, real hard shit as well. So there's this, it's a, there's an element of extremity and then find your balance, extremity and find your balance. Cause if you're going to tell your story, you're going to have to dive into the extremities of your emotions, of your pain, of your shame, of your trauma. It's all there. It's like a can of worms. So don't be reckless, but be courageous. Hi fam, it's just Maddie popping in to wrap up part one with Raquel. I am so honored to have had Raquel on so far to share her story. And isn't she just an incredibly warm, kind and candid person? Raquel, thank you so much for coming on, for being so brutally honest and for really living, breathing this level of advocacy to share your story so openly and to show all of the listeners out there that it's okay to share the truth and it is okay to sometimes show the reality that isn't always flattering because that is what victim survivors need to hear. We don't all have these picture-perfect responses to trauma. We don't all get access to the help that we need immediately. And sometimes there are other things at play in the wider world around us. And it's important that we talk about the intricacies of all of those things and how those webs that are weaved all around us impact us and pull us in different directions of our lives every day. Raquel will be back next week with part two. And in the meantime, you go to the show notes of this episode so that you can listen to Raquel's Silent Waves podcast and her new podcast, Unfiltered, which is an interview style podcast, and it is brilliant. So please head to the show notes. It's Linkapalooza down there. We've got links to the website. We've got links to socials. We've got links to crisis services, and there are more crisis services available on the website as well. The last thing before I leave you is to please go and join the cheer squad, which is the Patreon that I've just set up. If you can, if you want to, please help and support this podcast. It means the world to me that we do continue this podcast and it's just one way that you can assist me in keeping the show on the road. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, 
is you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.